0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail.
1: Indeed, we do. Boy, howdy. Uh, my name is William DeBiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Vibs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. For the purposes of this particular email, you may call me Rockmeister McCool. You don't have to, but you may. I think you should. Uh, and this is where you control the conversation,
0: right here, the critically acclaimed network. Here's how it works. You send us a letter. You can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed dot net, or you can send us something via snail mail. Whitney, what is our PO box? I I, I object to snail mail. You don't know, like snails? I like snails. Just post, regular post. I like I like the, I like
1: knowing that snails are delivering them. They've got like you know, little bags, like you know, strapped over their shells. It's cute. Um, I, I suppose it is slower than email, which right. is where it got the the name. Right but it is plenty hasty and i want to want you to support your local post office
0: you should well this is one of the reasons why we're yeah. encouraging you to write so, to us at our po right, box so what, which uh, is which
1: is critically acclaimed network po box 641565 los angeles california 90064
0: yeah and uh, indeed uh, as you may have noticed uh we we had some turmoil over the last month or so mm-hmm. i had a health scare we went on vacation the sort of Clear the cobwebs. So, uh, well, we haven't had... We've got mail in a little bit. And, indeed, the
1: mail piled up a smidge. A little bit. We, we got, got a few a, things from, a from the P.O. Pile box. box. Speaking of piles, I got one right in front of me here. We got some
0: stuff from our P.O.
1: box. Thank yeah, you so much to so everyone who wrote in in advance. But let's start here. So I, and I have to crinkle it on mic to let yeah. you know that it's real paper. Satisfying. So I got to pull it out of the envelope here. All right. give that right. a little, little bit okay. of a snap to it. Uh, here's a letter from Alan. Hi, Alan. Hello, Alan. Thank you for writing in. Uh, and it reads... Dear Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool, uh Rockmeister McCool, no correct or incorrect spelling. They're all yeah. they're all correct.
0: However you spell it, that's yeah. right.
1: Uh, I've enjoyed Holy Batman, and I don't envy you having to make your way through all of the new adventures of Batman. I'll <sighs> check it I checked it out, and Batmite is just marginally less annoying than Scrappy Doo. Wow. Uh, Well, at least it's better than Scrappy-Doo. Lenny Weinrib was the name of the actor who played Scrappy-Doo, and he is one of the main voice actors on Batman, but he does not play Batmite, strangely enough.
0: enough. We'll
1: talk about that in a second. On the subject of comic books, Mm. I've been reading my way through the first 63 issues of The Fantastic Four this year Oh! uh, by reading The Essential Fantastic Four, Volumes 1, 2, and 3. I haven't... I haven't read many of these issues before. I thought I would write in with some random observations. I'm also reading War and Peace this year. I prefer Fantastic Four, <laughs> but what's the difference, really? Hey, hey! Fantastic Four was the world's greatest comics magazine.
0: Did anyone call War and Peace the world's greatest comics magazine?
1: Um, I mean, it, it's did frequently anyone call on lists it of the greatest? works of literature ever written
0: but was it considered <laughs> okay, the world's greatest comics no, magazine no Thank
1: it's you. not the world's greatest comics magazine.
0: i'm just saying you can't take that away from fantastic four <laughs> i suppose not yeah it's got one thing um, it's got at least one thing over war and peace
1: First, Stanley wanted to create superheroes who were more like regular people. Hmm? Uh, Stanley has said in interviews that his goal wasn't to like revolutionize anything. He was just bored. Well, he's actually kind of like I'm trying to get fired. He was
0: basically like, <laughs> You're gonna, we, we need to come up with like our own version of a Justice League. Mm. Uh, so uh, do a superhero comic with a bunch of t- with like with like a team. Mm. And he was like, I don't, God, I don't
1: want to do this. <laughs>
0: Fine. Okay. Uh, there, they have no secret identities. The hero is a nerd instead of a hunk. Uh, and one of the characters Is a monster And everyone's scared Of how he looks And, and they fight a lot And, and they, a, they, they, they they're a family a and, they, and they're famous And they deal with Being a celebrity These are all
1: things That were not supposed to work And they all work perfectly <laughs> Um uh, his people uh, that meant no secret identities people who argued with one, mm-hmm. one another etc but there was one way in which he did not have his finger on the pulse of the comic buying public he wanted to do the fantastic four with no special costumes mm-hmm. just street clothes the first two issues and the part and part of the third the fantastic four are in street clothes yep. I understood that understand that everyone wrote in how much they loved the fantastic four but every letter said the same thing put them in colorful costumes or the deals off <laughs> not many grown men have a desire to wear tights and a cape but kids get a kick out of wearing these costumes yeah uh i mean it, it is a, a projecting yourself into yeah. a superhero body so I, you want the cool the fun
0: outfit
1: i think the, i think they made it work though because i always felt
0: like the fantastic four costumes weren't supposed to be like cool costumes the, like, they were like workout. outfits yeah they were like work outfits mm. and like the whole idea is like yeah we do this stuff when we're doing our science stuff these are mm. science clothes mm. like a lab coat right
1: you know like so i, I think they mostly got away with it uh, Second and probably the best issue, uh, this man, this monster. Oh, I love this book. is so much. as powerful now as it was when I first read it. Oh, uh, it my
0: favorite comics ever!
1: <laughs> this is the one in which the bad guy takes over the identity of the thing in order to attack Reed Richards. One of the few comics in which a bad guy actually realizes that he is a bad guy. Yeah. All the ways in which people rationalize away altruistic behavior vanish for him, like the idea that people do good things for glory or adulation. He realizes that Reed Richards is performing a dangerous experiment to help protect Planet Earth, and he's not doing it for glory because no one even knows he's doing it. What's especially interesting about this issue is that none of the Fantastic Four used their powers this time, except yep. for Johnny Storm, who flamed on his thumb just to prove to someone who he was, but that was it. Yeah.
0: If you've never read mm. this man, this monster, it is really one of the best like single issues of a comic mm. ever. And yeah, that's that's it. This bad and the, guy these takes are all from over, the the sixties. Yeah. yeah, this is from the, this is from the original early era where Stan Lee and Jack Kirby did every issue of this early run of Fantastic Four, like over a hundred issues. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, one of the issues was a guy, a villain we'd never met before. Just he hated Reed Richards. He resented him in his success took over the thing's body, and he was going to kill Reed Richards. And then uh, Reed Richards and the thing ended up getting stuck inside this awesome dimension that Jack Kirby drew this... I don't even know how the hell he did it. Like, it looks (laughs) fucking phenomenal. And uh, then Reed Richards actually tries to sacrifice himself to save Ben Grimm, Hmm. thinking the thing was still his friend. He probably would have done it anyway. And the guy realizes, oh, I'm the asshole here. And so he saves Reed Richards. No one will ever know of his sacrifice. No one will ever know that he... Oh. is actually, like, did something to redeem
1: himself. But that was enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's such a good book. <laughs> such a good
1: story. I love that story so much. Um, let's see. Uh, third, The Thing was a public menace. <laughs> get, yeah. me sp- get me pictures of that menace. Yeah. Uh, whenever a story started with some beautiful or valuable object brought in, you could be sure that The Thing was going to destroy it in one of his ten- temper tantrums. Yeah. At one point, a cab driver said something he didn't like, so he impaled the cab driver on a lamppost with the cab driver in it. He went the cab, not the cab Not the cab. He, yeah, he, the cab but... he didn't, he didn't bail the guy. Uh, that, that would have been better. Uh, yeah, but yeah. no, no one was hurt. Ah, uh, too bad. Yeah. Uh, but this one, <laughs> this was wanted destruction of private property. This should have been uh, raised as an issue in the comic. Uh, the Hulk at least had diminished mental capacity as an excuse, but Ben Grimm was a pilot and a college graduate. Well, yeah, we also have to appreciate
0: that Ben Grimm uh, was deeply traumatized by the uh, accident yeah, that turned him into a monster, and he is having trouble dealing with what he considers. You could know, look at oh, his superpowers, but to him, it's a disability. It actually prevents him from doing many ordinary things. Yeah. It makes people terrified of him in the street. He's lashing out it's easy to sympathize with his plight even though he's clearly doing the wrong thing and i like that complexity of the thing but yeah, yeah fair enough he's I, a menace he's he's definitely he's someone <laughs> to tell him to stop doing that i agree with that he should be in therapy but mm-hmm.
1: that's a thing. um i also got a dvd of the first fantastic four cartoon series from 1967 yeah. Yeah. i was really like super limited animation barely yeah. moved at all basically just uh, panel for panel recreations of the comics yeah, more but the, or less. the comics were good so they're still with, fun with, with like fun chintzy music put yeah in. I really like this uh, which I remember watching as a kid yes I am that old me too uh, most of the episodes were taken from issues of the comic and it was interesting to see some of the liberties taken in the Galactus saga the mm. wounded silver surfer which was really originally taken in and cared for by Alicia Ben Grimm's blind girlfriend but in the cartoon version that role was taken by Sue Storm yeah the, like, you, the, one fewer character to animate I see it yeah uh, um, uh, the, uh, whatever. the silver surfer wanted to know why she would care for someone who had uh, come to help destroy the planet and she said to him quote you don't understand you are important as is every living thing on earth life is a precious gift it should not be taken it's not for us to take and so we protect it fight for it even if the life being life of a being from another world even a being who would destroy us must be helped this is not taken verbatim from Stan Lee, but it was definitely inspired by his writing. I think this is yeah. a pretty go- damn good writing for a Hanna-Barbera cartoon from the 60s. <laughs> yeah. It makes one wonder if it was canceled before an acceptable time period had elapsed, but that's not for me to judge. Uh, this is Alan signing off.
0: I'm not sure how long that series lasted, because the happen was they showed. They had this well, series of the, Marvel uh, comics, but it was, it was. Depending on what episode you watch, it could be Fantastic Four. It could be uh, Daredevil. It could be Iron Man. It could yeah. be Submariner, I think, once or twice. Um. Or um, maybe he was just the villain. But regardless... Yeah, and it was all that. that show was great I loved that <laughs> show Even as a kid There were better yeah. animated shows On when I was on The show was only on In reruns the, the, the That fanta- show was, that, that thing was cool The
1: Fantastic Four Had like the, the that corny optimism Of like a Star Trek Yeah Or uh, Rod Serling Was a little bit bitter About the world But you watch The Twilight Zone a lot of the stories Are actually quite uplifting Yeah He actually did have An optimistic streak in him Well there's
0: a, there's a certain Spiritual uplift I think to yeah, a lot yeah. of them Even if the world around us Is very cynical mm. Um. Yeah, there's really Beautiful stuff in the Twilight Zone But no, Fantastic 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 Four was just kind of like Doctor Who you know it's like kind of a weird setup but like once you've set it up you've got characters who you can put in any situation and like literally any yeah. situation yeah. you can put them in a real life day to day scenario just here's what the Fantastic Four do on Christmas yeah. you've got a story you can have them meet a god who eats planets you still got a story you can have them meet I don't know the alligator men and like you've got a story like it doesn't really matter what they do They'll they're interesting in any situation and what, the situation there, can be as creative as you want. Were there
1: really alligator men? That's a problem. Were. I'm sure there were at I'm some sure point.
0: There was at some point,
1: uh, a friend of mine said uh, she once told me that she really liked the Fantastic Four because they're the only superhero team yeah. that also functions perfectly well as like a sitcom. Yeah, like you you could have like a, a three wall set sitcom of a living room and just have yeah. the Fantastic Four in it, and you yeah. would still have stories out of their their interactions. The
0: one exception I would take to that actually is, and this is something I miss from the comics. Where, like the movies never did this right.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, the X Men used to be like that too. There used to be stuff, just issues of the X-Men hanging out, and one of the things they would do is they would, like, play baseball in their backyard and stuff. With these, yeah. And, like, Nightcrawler would play all the bases simultaneously, that kind of thing. Had, in, there, there were more moments like that. There was more in, in regular, the, regular interaction. In
1: x X-Men movie, there were a couple scenes like that.
0: A few, yeah. like, early on, and then the plot kicks in and they don't have any but time that's for it anymore. Like, I kind of wish there had just been a little bit more of that. Mm. Uh, the New Mutants had a little bit of that, but that movie's kind of a mess. Yeah. Because the, they don't the, have anything to fight, but, like, it, well, the, watching them watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer isn't maybe as interesting as they thought it was.
1: Yeah, there's, uh, there's, uh, one of the characters in that movie has like this really weird assemblage of powers. Yeah. Uh, it's it's all really unclear that movie.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, anyway, we also have... Yes! Not just... Uh, there's a letter. A letter, but also some a big stuff. bubble mailer with big some package stuff in it. It's two books. Uh, it's two books. I, I'm guessing there's one for each of us. Thank yeah. you. This is called a book by Craig M. Farnham called Pazuzu's Wings, an analysis of Exorcist to The Heretic, and other underappreciated films. Yes. Read the, um, uh,
0: read the letter. Read the letter. This is and
1: And uh, open it up. You'll see that it's signed by Craig M. Farnham. Thank you, Craig. But uh, read, read uh, this letter. This is actually really exciting. Uh, um. This is from Craig. Uh, Craig M. Uh, Cla- Craig M. Claude Cat Farnham. <laughs> Claude Cat uh, was the cat tortured by Hubie and Bertie in the old uh, Chuck Jones cartoons. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, this reads, Dear Bugs and Daffy, Your recent episodes about your favorite Looney Tunes have been a lot of fun. Thank you for making me smile while at work. Well, I know that you've expressed not... Uh, Expressed not being too impressed by Hanna-Barbera, I'd be curious to know if there are any of their cartoons that you've enjoyed. But that's not the main reason for my writing you. Number one, I can't wait to hear Whitney crinkle the paper... There we go. There's, there's the paper. The one you set pen to. Uh, and number two, roughly a year ago, I sent you an email on which I admitted that I enjoy Exorcist to the Heretic and that I was actually writing something on the subject. Well, here we are several months and many pages later, and I wanted to send you copies of the first finished product. This is amazing. Uh, most especially, I hope you read the book's dedication and know that I mean every syllable from Waterburg, Connecticut. I'm sending you a geographically distant but 100% heartfe- heart- heartfelt hug and great big thank you for all you do always craig m clodcat cat farnum uh second thought maybe i'm yosemite sam
0: uh, <laughs> uh whitney read the dedication i, I
1: love heretic Two. varmint uh let's see <laughs> okay um dedication oh my goodness oh this oh i'm gonna cry um the author would like to express his deep appreciation for William Mubiani and Whitney Seibold, the hosts of the critically acclaimed network of podcasts. They are two profoundly insightful critics who have more than simply entertained me for several years now. They inspired this book. It is because of them and their oft-repressed belief that everyone's a critic, that this that this CT movie buff felt that he had some ability to discuss the world of motion pictures despite making a living that has nothing to do at all with Hollywood or filmmaking." Uh, it is admittedly a curious thing to feel when you've come to know people whose voices you hear every day through, uh, though you've never actually met, we are geographically distant strangers, really, let alone feel indebted to them. But the writer of the following pages wishes to acknowledge that without their example, through the inspiration, uh, though the inspiration for this book might've been there, the confidence to write it would not have been. Thank you very much, Bibbs and McCool. Uh, and uh, there's also a, an additional dedication. Yeah, read the like whole to thing. Read the whole Give thing. credit where credit is And, and do, a yeah. big thank you to my friend Mark T. Weathersby, who, over many years, helped me find the language with which to discuss films beyond I liked slash hated that. He is a fellow lover of the horror genre who introduced me to some truly awful movies and whose humor is I will no doubt con- and, and will no doubt continue to be infectious uh that's one of the I, nicest I can't things anyone's
0: ever express done for how
1: us. flattered i am by that this that is, this that is means ins- a lot insanely wonderful that means a lot thank you mm. so much for I, the kind I will thoughts. definitely read this it is an uh, honor
0: to think that we had anything to do with this uh and we so are I we will to treasure it. these books
1: i'm gonna look through this book for a second to see some yeah. of the things on here uh chapter one is john Borman, who directed mm-hmm. uh exorcist two exorcist two by the way is insane. Like it, it's, Oh yeah. Like it's I, absolutely I, I, I it's, has it's, nothing to do with anything. It's, it's so fucking weird. It's quite bad, but it is never not like it weirdly watchable. Um, yeah. Like yeah. a, like a lot of wild music. The idea of exorcist two is that, uh, Reagan McNeil, uh, who, you know, years after the events of the exorcist is brought into this like high tech science fiction hyp- hypnosis lab And she is brought under hypnosis by this weird machine, and in so doing, like, evokes the demon again. Like, she essentially gets repossessed in retrospect, and they finally put a name to the creature, and it's named Pazuzu. Yeah,
0: before it was only known as Captain Howdy.
1: Yeah, and Uh, uh, in calling it Pazuzu... It reveals a lot of sort of the racist origins of that story yeah there's a lot of weird shit going on thing from africa
0: yeah it's really Mm. messed up uh but um in any case pazuzu's wings is currently available if anyone else wants to buy it uh but you can find it on amazon and other places as well i assume but um thank you craig that means an absolute lot to us like that's very very cool um i've never written a book (laughs) i can't say that i've had the pleasure <laughs> i started uh, my, my partner has uh, that's start, exciting like, a novel once for what that's worth yeah. we've um, played with the yeah, idea of writing our own book would never never really materialize we have never, enough on our plate as uh, it is unfortunately
1: well thank thank you craig that thank is you. wonderful that's I mean, so I mean, cool that is, that's going on my shelf um awesome and then we have one other thing in the, other in the mail here, here. There doesn't appear to be a letter in this There's no one? letter in it. It is just a random gift. <laughs> it is a Blu-ray edition of Rennie Harlan's classic film, Cutthroat Island. Is there
0: anything more
1: classic than Cutthroat Island? Uh, I beg of you. <laughs> cutthroat Island is an interesting, uh, thank you, uh, mysterious fan who sent this to us. <laughs> that uh, is Cutthroat uh, Island we, ap- we appreciate the Blu-ray of Cutthroat Island, um... Uh Cutthroat Island is a curious case because this was a giant movie. Uh Rennie Harlan yeah. uh put together this thing with uh Gina Davis. I think she produced it as well. Um yeah, Matthew O'Dean is plays sort of like the dashing hero, but she's like uh the, the head pirate. Uh and uh Frank Langella is the bad guy. Uh Mari, Mari Chakin is in the movie. Yeah, um, <laughs>
0: It was supposed to, I think it was supposed to be Harrison Ford, and then he dropped out, mm. so they replaced him with Matthew Modine. You know, the other Harrison Ford. I, um,
1: he's a dashing, handsome movie I, star. Just saying, I, fine, just, just saying, fine. it's fine. a
0: different. He's a different actor. That's he, all I'm saying. You know, he, he doesn't have the star power, does he?
1: I, I, he never starred in like an uh, in Indiana Jones or a Star Wars. So he didn't have that clout. Behind I'm just saying. Him, but more people probably would have he's gone. Been Harrison a lot of Ford movies. was in it in he's, the '90s, but I <laughs> Matthew Modine's quite a good actor. Um,
0: but anyway, it, it
1: bankrupted a uh, studio. It, it was such a bomb. It bankrupted a studio. It lost a huge amount of money. It's one of the biggest bombs in history. And it's kind of curious that we don't talk about
0: it. No, but I've always often. found that
1: really odd about the, the only time, bombs.
0: The only time we talk about Cutthroat Island is when we talk about movies that lost money. Yeah. yeah That's it. It, uh, never, it. it doesn't have like a huge... It, there's a lot of movies out there where people are just like, was it really that bad? And then all of a sudden people are talking about why, I don't know, Halloween 3 is good now. Hmm. It, it's a fun movie I'm glad it. Maybe we've overshot That a smidge But boom uh, Cousin Island Doesn't seem to have that I've never really Heard anyone Like defend that Too forcefully I've heard some people Say it's not as bad As all that But hmm. I've never Heard anyone say No seriously That movie is great <laughs> I've never heard Anyone
1: say that Yeah um, When a film bombs The assumption is That it was bad Yeah uh, it turns out a lot of the bigger bombs that I've seen aren't necessarily bad. They're just a little bit dull. Like, they don't have a yeah. lot of personality, and there's not something drawing you back to them. So Same thing for something like Waterworld. Yeah. Waterworld is not a terrible movie. No, it's, it's just sort it's of got fine. got a, a weird, dumb premise. But yeah, it's just kind of... It's just kind of okay. Kind of flat. And I think that's why it was a bomb. If it was really, really bad,
0: mm-hmm.
1: there'd be a lot more to talk about. Agreed. Uh, uh, same with uh, we reviewed this on on a, a previous podcast. Mars Needs Moms is one of the biggest bombs of all time. It's yeah, this, uh, motion capture animated film that Disney put out based on a this really bizarre book by Berkeley Breathed. Yeah, and, and it's, uh,
0: it's not very good. It's not. It's not. It's got kind of ugly animation. If you ask, I'm not a big fan mm. of the style. But yeah, it, it,
1: it's it looks a lot like that movie Monster House. If you ever saw that, In I terms hate of, the way Monster
0: House looks. <laughs> I, well, can, I can't things. even look at it. I. Yeah,
1: but both of those so movies were ugly. done with motion capture, which was. Uh, a little bit yeah. uh, a little bit more novel when those movies were being made yeah and uh yeah lost a huge amount of money for disney nobody talks about it in fact no. it wasn't even available on a lot of the streaming services for a while i think they yeah. snuck it on kind of recently yeah just, disney plus well they're
0: not they're not proud that's for sure <laughs> um regarding the other question that was in there which is um, you know we talked about recently oh, in our hannah barbara cartoons yeah, we, you know we talked about our favorite warner brothers cartoons and we could probably do the same with disney if we really sat down with it uh, but when it comes down to the best Hanna Barbera cartoons, are there any Hanna Barbera cartoons uh, that we love? Uh, I'm just going to say it: no. <laughs> Hanna, look,
1: not Hanna really. Barbera, no, Hanna Barbera is a studio. Yeah. Uh, well, f- first of all, I was not allowed to watch the Flintstones. That was you mentioned it this was before. Yeah. Banned in my household, my mom thought it was it was a sexist show, and she wouldn't yeah. let us watch it. For some reason, the Jetsons was okay, even though they're like copies of one another. Right. Um, but uh, the reason Hanna Barbera left such an impact in the world of animation was because of limited animation. Right. They developed a, a a way of designing characters and shows so they could be uh, animated quickly. Uh, if you yeah. design, if you're trying to do something like a Bugs Bunny who's yeah. articulated all over and his yeah. facial animation constantly moving, moving and yeah. hand, holding up hands and stuff that takes a lot of time. That you have to animate every frame of Bugs Bunny as he moves. If you look at the way uh, Fred Flintstone is designed, uh, you'll notice that he's designed at what they call three-quarters – Whereas he's not in profile, he's not facing the camera, he's like sort of turned at three quarters angle. All and, you have um, to do
0: is animate the eyes, and he's looking to the yeah, left so of the screen, or the right of the screen, or right at the screen, and you don't an- have... Yeah. You don't have
1: to animate the head, uh, mm-hmm. the mouth is surrounded by a separate color, Yeah, it's like blocked off, so, so all you, can you have just to do animate is that part. animate the mouth and replace the cell on just the mouth and keep everything in place. Yeah, This allowed animation to move super quick as animation goes. Uh, and that was really revolutionary because it allowed, uh, animation to be produced on a TV schedule. Yeah. Uh, they didn't have to do an entire feature film that took years to do. They could just yeah. do it on a weekly basis as such, because they could do that. They made their way into the consciousness. They just, through sheer volume of low quality content, mm-hmm. they were able to fill their coffers and
0: most of the stuff, especially,
1: especially the first few decades, mm. Awful. It's it's just this cavalcade of shit. It's like, like
0: I was, when I was a kid. I watched the Flintstones. It was fine. Uh, I watched the the Jetsons. It was fine. I watched Yogi Bear. It was fine. I guess. I I, do, I, I never
1: I, liked Yogi Bear. Um, I like Yogi like Bear. I, I Yogi, Yogi, Yogi Bear was on, and I was like, that I respect was okay Yogi that. Bear is like a cultural presence, but I don't really enjoy watching it. Yeah, um, I, if I had you, s- some affection.
0: I have a, some affection for a couple of things. Uh, and I'm looking at the list right now because I want to make sure I didn't like forget something truly brilliant. And no, no, I did not. But uh <laughs> there's a few things that I have affection for, and I will list them all right here. All right. Uh number one, the earliest one, uh Hong Kong Fooey. Uh it is <laughs> not it's not aged well at all, but um I just like Scatman Carruthers. Yeah, <laughs> He just had a wonderful voice. Um,
1: Hong Kong yeah. Oh yeah. Number one super guy. Yeah, there was this yeah.
0: great uh, C D. Remember when they made those? Uh, of uh, Saturday morning cartoon theme song covers. Oh, this from like did, alt rock bands. They of, like, did this the 90s. a lot
1: in the nineties. Uh, yeah. They also did like Schoolhouse Rock rocks. Yeah, um, um, that one was good. There was uh, what, what was it called? I think it was. I think it was just called "I Melt with You." Uh, yeah. It was like a pop bands doing new wave covers. Yeah. Uh, and these, and so they just made these. And they, honestly, they're all really good. <laughs> There was like this really badass cover
0: of Johnny Quest that somehow like gradually morphed into Stop the Pigeon from uh, mm. uh, the the Snidely Whiplash cartoons, <laughs> and uh, there was a theme song to um, Sigmund of the Sea Monsters, which I turns out I don't mm. like the show, but the theme song was really really good. So when like tripping Day daisies covers it, yeah, aisle. yeah, the fun album, fun album, uh, that, but it
1: was it was like suburban standard issue if you're like, a teenager in the what 90s. A, Sublime did a cover on that, didn't they? You remember what they did?
0: But did they do Uh, Hong Kong Fui? No.
1: They didn't do Hong Kong Fui. Hong Hong Kong Fui was on that. Let me look up the track list on that CD. But Uh, but
0: moving on, a couple other things I do have some affection for uh, from uh, Hanna-Barbera. Mostly later stuff. Like, I feel like their attitude... Once they started doing less limited animation, Mm. they did produce some fun stuff. Uh, Um, Here
1: we go. It was was put out in 1995. uh It was called Saturday Morning, Colon, Cartoon's Greatest Hits. Uh Uh, Yeah, it was this... uh, and because uh, of the nature of the record industry in the 90s, they were all long. They had like 20 tracks apiece. But let's see. The track listing was um, the One Banana, Two Banana from the Banana Splits mm-hmm. was done by Liz Fair. Nice. Um, Ghost Speed Racer by Sponge. Nice. Uh, Sugar Sugar by Semi Sonic. Okay. Uh, Scooby-Doo by Matthew Sweet. Josie and the Pussycats by Juliana Hatfield. Uh, the Bugaloos by Collective Soul. Wow. Underdog by Butthole Surfers. Nice. <laughs> I remember uh, Helmet did a cover of Gigantor, which that, is pretty great. That's pretty bad. Uh, the Spider-Man theme song was done by the Ramones. Yes, and they um, ended up using that in uh, I think one of the Spider-Man movies In one of the Sam Raimi's movies. I think yeah. it,
0: so, somewhere in there they ended up using mm-hmm. the the yeah, uh, yeah the Ramon Johnny Troll. Quest
1: stop that pigeon was by the Reverend Horton Heat.
0: Reverend Horton, yeah, um, that was a good one. Open
1: up and let your hearts uh, and let your Open oh, up man. your heart and let the sunshine in, which was uh, a from, song from, the, from the, Flintstones. S- the Flintstones. Yeah, Pebbles. It was done by it. Uh, a lounge, this obscure lounge band called Front Day. Um, E-pop Ork Ah Ah from the Jetsons was done by the Violent Femmes. Fat Albert was done by Dig. Face uh, <laughs> a band I don't know called Face to Face did Popeye. Uh, Sigmund and the Sea Monters was Tripping Daisy. Yeah. Uh, Groovy Ghoulies was The Toadies. Hong Kong Fu was Sublime. You were right. Yeah, I was okay. right. Okay, that was a fun cover. H.R. Uh, Puffin Stuff was done by The Murmurs. And Happy Happy Joy Joy from The Ren and Stimpy Show was done by Wax. And that was contemporary. That
0: was that was actually kind of controversial at the time. I was just like, really? Also, I think Ren Stimpy was on on Sundays. I remember thinking that at the time. Like, wait a minute. Fuck you. But anyway... Uh, a couple other... uh, I had, had to list those all because that's an impressive record It's a, it's a cool and if you can find it definitely track it down But um, the couple other things I like I have some affection for a pup named Scooby-Doo Because they were occasionally a little meta
1: uh-huh. They
0: actually had some funny bits um, They did the Pirates of Darkwater Which was actually really cool uh, And I've it's one of those ones I've always kind of wanted to cover And cancel too mm-hmm. soon even though it technically had two seasons mm-hmm. Because they did actually have like a set storyline they okay. were going to tell beginning, middle, and end, but they got canceled before they did. But that uh, was a cool action-adventure show. Uh, they did SWAT Cats, the Radical Squadron.
1: Okay, uh, that's just nostalgia talking.
0: <laughs> but it was fun, though, and the animation right. was kind of cool. Uh, they did uh, And then later on, they would do Dexter's Laboratory and the Powerpuff Girls, when and Johnny they,
1: Bravo. When Hanna-Barbera got into the Cartoon Network era yeah. and they started producing new original content, from yeah. this was actually... Um, uh, I mean, the Ren and Stimpy show was hugely, hugely influential in that it allowed creator-based cartoons to become a thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and so uh, you'll look at something like Dexter's Laboratory. That's Craig McCracken's, or was that Genndy Tartakovsky? That was Genndy Tartakovsky. Yeah. Craig McCracken um, did Powerpuff Girls. Powerpuff Girls. I yeah. got them mixed up. Uh, but these were like yeah. animators with their own vision. These were their shows. Prior to that, it was all properties. It was all the studio. It, was, it wasn't really... Creator based mm. And after the Ren and Stimpy show Creators got a lot Of their work uh, Sort of put mm. on the screen And that's when Hanna-Barbera start, Stepped in What were the four There was Dexter's Lab There was Powerpuff Girls There, there was, was Johnny Bravo And then there and was, there was um, um oh Ed, 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 Ed Eddie was Eddie was the fourth one Was that at the beginning? I Is think that was right At start? the beginning okay. at, yeah.
0: um, Well the other one I'm just going to Throw this out there Because mm. nobody talks About this show And this show Made me laugh So hard And it's right in the middle Of that Between Saturday morning cartoons And the Cartoon Network but they ended up airing it on the Cartoon Network. Uh, two Stupid Dogs.
1: Oh, I never saw Two Stupid. <laughs> two
0: dogs. Two Stupid Dogs was a very funny show. It was about two stupid dogs. One of whom well, talked very slow. One of whom like moved around really fast. as a big sort of a little yappy dog. Mm. Um, and uh, and it was great. And they also had a second segment in every episode, uh, which was a sequel to Secret Squirrel called Super Secret Secret Squirrel. Oh God! Uh, which was also pretty funny and had like mm. some good Danger Mouse vibes to it. Uh, If you ever get a chance to see Two Stupid Dogs There's some funny episodes of those (laughs) Apparently at the time it was considered kind of a ripoff Of uh, Ren and Stimpy uh, To which, and I just saw this online Hanna-Barbera, CEO at the time Fred Siebert said Yes, I guess it was Well he said, that's like Pearl Jam worrying about being compared to Nirvana And I'm just like Which one, what?
1: (laughs) First of all, uh, I think you're asking for Soundgarden Uh, Yeah (laughs) As Beavis once said, maybe they came first and Pearl Jam ripped them off. Uh, Always bothered me
0: that some double Pilots
1: said, everyone said they sounded like Pearl Jam. No, no they
0: don't. Scott Weiland sounds like Eddie Vedder. I'll <laughs> give you that. They have very similar vocal qualities.
1: Musically, they're very different bands. Fair, fair. Okay. Fair. Um, yeah, I, I guess the uh, when you go back to like the really early, early days of Hanna-Barbera, like the early yeah. uh, Tom and Jerry, I really like the animation on those early ones. just because it Tom and Jerry was, bit, that was MGM. Oh, I guess it was in the early days. Um, yeah. Hanna Barbera, I think, ended up taking them over. Um,
0: no, no, like uh, no, because they had the, the Hanna Barbera. They, they got their start doing stuff like uh, Huckleberry I, Hound and Quick Draw McGraw.
1: Yeah, uh, all all of like that generation of cartoons were th- yeah. things that were just sort of drifting past my eyeballs as a youth, and I never really enjoyed them. Uh, it they weren't that wasn't, funny. Yeah, i I've, I've some. I guess I admire, Quick Draw McGraw had some funny bits, mm-hmm. but like not really. I admire uh, some of the projects they did. I remember liking uh, a special they did. Called Laugh Olympics. Okay. I think Hanna Barbera Animation also did the animated film version of Charlotte's Web, which I enjoyed. What oh, was that though? That was a good uh, well, I'm looking at their, their Future t- films here Some of their TV stuff Especially throughout The 1970s uh, Doesn't look should, like That was them actually It should get a little credit f- Just for being as wild As it was They could do things like It's the Globetrotters But they're, they have superpowers now yeah. uh, It's the, Part- the Partridge family but 2020 they're, yeah, they're, AD they're the, di- the distant future it's, That was Gil- their gag
0: For a lot of things Just throw Gil- them in the future Gilligan's
1: Island But they're in space uh, Did you remember when they
0: did Laverne and Shirley But they're in the army And the Fonz is the mechanic
1: Yes what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> That's... How,
0: how did you pitch that?
1: Yeah, My uh, God. Uh, here, Here's Jabberjaw. Remember Jabberjaw? <laughs> Jabberjaw
0: was that whole, like, just, hey, get a bunch of teenagers and one weird talking thing. Hmm. And then we'll have them solve mysteries. So there was but, Jabberjaw. But it's like there was the future the, underwater. Like,
1: it's this weird setting yeah, for Jabberjaw. Jabberjaw was
0: weird. There was uh, the one with, um... Uh, what was it, like, the Groovy Ghost or something? Groovy Ghoulies? No, 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 not Groovy Ghoulies. There was, um... There was a ghost who was like super hip and he helped self- <laughs> He helped teenagers. Listen, teenagers needed a lot of help solving mysteries mm. and no actual adults were available. So you had to get the supernatural yeah, um, people to do it. Um, so yeah,
1: I think it wasn't until uh, they got a little ironic and self-aware in the 90s that yeah. Hanna-Barbera really started to take off. And that's when they took a really crappy show like Space Ghost about uh, a ghost that's in space and it's a superhero yeah. and gave but him his own. The original Space Ghost was okay. Pardon? The original Space Ghost had some fun monsters. <laughs> uh, better than Birdman. The, the original shows. The original Birdman, yeah. Um, yeah. I remember they used to show a lot of these old ones and it was clearly meant to like capture a stoner audience. It's like, yeah. they, there was a series of uh, cartoons about two little kids who teamed up with Moby Dick the whale I forgot about <laughs> that
0: there was that was stupid Hanna-Barbera
1: made a superhero show about Moby fucking Dick They
0: sure did
1: And it and uh the little kids called him Moby and Moby yeah. like stopped spy submarines and shit Yeah Moby
0: there was uh, a two-parter it was Moby Dick and Mighty Mitor Cuz Moby Dick can't carry his own
1: show You got to throw it. <laughs> you got to throw in another robot and, and here's the weird thing no Captain Ahab that's the logical thing. He's like, you think like, the bad a, guy, right? Like, like, a, a like I'll dirty. get you Moby. Like you've destroyed my whole body. I'm an Android now with a human <laughs> head, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and and in mixed in with that crowd was Space Ghost, this yeah. really ridiculous cartoon character. And I think they kind of realized at some point that these characters are ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, only stoners are watching them. This is appealing to like older Gen Xers. Not and that they kids. finally
0: leaned into that.
1: So yeah, they leaned into that. They said we're going to take these lame characters that are really awful, and we're going to give them like spin-off shows in the '90s. So Space yeah. Ghost became Space Ghost Coast to Coast, one of the best cartoons ever made. Mm, uh,
0: some of its aged badly, but like the idea was hilarious. It is
1: unbelievably absurd this show because it's not just Space Ghost hosting a talk show which is funny in and of itself Space Ghost Ghost is he's
0: also like forcing two of his supervillains as like their community service to be like his band and his producer (laughs) which is pretty fucking funny uh,
1: uh, Zorak and Moltar and um They would have real celebrities on. They'd appear on, like, a little screen in the animated frame. And and they uh, would
0: interview the celebrities, but then they would mix up their answers and write new intros to whatever they said so uh, so that some of them would sound like assholes.
1: (laughs) Well, not just that. Often they would just say weird things. They didn't really interview celebrities so much as they did weird things in front of them. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like what, what, Contort your body re- 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 like, Remember
0: when they had Bjork on But instead of interviewing Bjork They said it was Space Ghost's wife
1: yeah, <laughs> like she was his, his wife calling wife. him from
0: home and he was like kind of embarrassed like oh i regret my marriage like it was just but so fucking in, weird in
1: one segment they got uh, ashley judd was going to be their big thing but they got so distracted just sort of bickering amongst themselves she didn't come on until like the last 10 seconds of the show yeah and she said one thing she said i can bake really good chocolate pies and that was the only thing for <laughs> ashley judd <laughs> ashley judd uh, was a good get at the time yeah she, she, she was a huge star huge in the 90s movie star in like 1995 yeah. uh yeah, then they got her on the show, and all she said is, I can bake really good chocolate pies. Yeah. I believe that about Ashley Judd. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they were asking her, what the uh, conversation was. That was great. Anyway. Uh, we, we, so maybe that's that's my answer. The, my favorite the, Anna Barbera the cartoon. Early, the early Cartoon, cartoon, Network, early stuff cartoon my, Network stuff. Yeah, there you go. All right, we should move on. But thank
0: you for that. Yeah. Thank you for that. These are amazing. And, and thank
1: you for Cutthroat Island. And yeah, so thank cool. you for Pazuzu's Wings. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank thank you. you. You don't
0: have to send us yeah. stuff. We, we like getting yeah. it. But like we, you don't have to send us stuff. Your letters yeah. are enough for us. Yeah. Thank you. Um,
1: speaking of letters, let's move let's on. Let's move on to uh, some emails. Here is a letter. Yeah, and then we're on to email. No more crinkles. I could still crinkle a paper, but it's, these are emails. Uh, this is a letter from RJ. Hello, RJ. Hi, RJ. Uh, dear Bibbs and Whitney in this economy. Uh <laughs> Firstly, I just finished listening to your Iron List about the best movies that begin with the letter E, and you missed out two of my favorites, and I'm Mm. gonna and I'm gonna yell at you. That's fair. Uh, My number one, and I don't think either of you uh, even had this in your honorable mentions, would be Tim Burton's Ed Wood, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. I I did mention Ed Wood. You did mention Ed Wood.
0: Okay, well I meant to, and I Ed
1: Ed Wood and Edward Scissorhands. Um, Yeah. Which is one of my favorite movies of all time. I also would have included Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but otherwise it was a great episode and maybe uh, my favorite of all the shows you put out.
0: I feel like I deserve, I feel like Eternal Sunshine deserves a a second, or or another watch for me. I haven't seen Hmm. it in a long time. It hasn't really lingered with me. I kind of, I get it, I appreciate Hmm. it, but it doesn't, it didn't really connect to my soul The way does
1: some people. uh, A lot of people love it as a romance. The idea is a a couple dates, they start hitting each other, they break up, uh, and there's
0: a service that allows you to erase the memory of a bad relationship mm. so that you can move on.
1: And uh, a lot of it takes place in uh, one of the characters' subconscious as the memories are being erased. So it's all very abstract and surreal. Yeah. And uh, and there's all like other shenanigans besides people are inserting themselves into people's brains, undoing and like creating memories. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff going on, but at the very end, uh, it, it's ultimately a romance, and it's about how it's sort of... Even in, if they do so this, they're kind
0: of meant to be together. Kind of, yeah, they're, yeah. kind of,
1: they're going to fall in love anyway, because they were kind of drawn to each other, and I didn't like that. I wanted it to be about the breakup and about the yeah. pain. I didn't well, want it to be about them rekindling I kind of
0: wanted romance. to see, like, at the end of the movie, like, mm. we turns out that they've done this, like... Like 50 20 times And yeah. they're 90 years old And yeah. they just keep doing this Over and over And over again And there's That would be That would be my Ironic set yeah. I think where it's Kind of sweet But also really kinda, Fucking kinda sad, sad. Yeah. Like <laughs> There's, there's yeah. There was a tragic
1: element To well, because that you can Which I you think not uh, You
0: can't learn From your mistakes hmm. If you erase If you don't Deal with your memories of something yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the idea is that, you know, maybe they're meant to be together. Maybe mm. it is a mistake.
1: But yeah, I, and I think I, like,
0: it's The early parts are great, but then it makes them ultimately unhappy. Mm. If you keep focus, if you don't remember the parts that make you unhappy, you'll just keep doing the same thing. So I feel like that is kind of sad that yeah. they're going to end up together again. I don't know. Um, I,
1: I haven't seen it since the early 2000s. I, I need so to re-watch long that long movie. Uh, I again. need to
0: re-watch that. That's a fair point. I know a lot of people love it. I need to re-watch that movie. I haven't seen it since... Uh, shortly after it came out. I've seen it a couple of times.
1: Uh, Anyway, the letter continues. What I wanted to talk about is an extension of a conversation you had in the previous episode of We've Got Mail Mm. regarding film characters who are terrible people. Ah. The actual question was about double standards between men and women, but eventually just came around to this topic. I just wanted to throw in my thoughts on the matter because as Bibb says, it can be a complex topic and people will draw their own lines in the sand. So I want to chip in with how I see it. Uh, Warning for listeners, some spoilers for Licorice Pizza, Uncut Gems, and Red Rocket.
0: Okay, so uh, skip ahead if you need to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, for me, the appeal of a really terrible person as a lead character lies in their ability to fail. The two greatest examples I can think of are Red Rocket, which we talked about previously, and Uncut Gems. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not yeah. saying that these two leads are bad in the same way, but their individual journeys inspire the same feeling in me. I need to see you fall. Yeah. Uh, Adam Sandler's character in Uncut Gems is a disaster of a person who deserves all the shit he brings his own way, and then the ending is such a chef's kiss. Yeah. I'm not keen on the film overall. Uh, it's a panic attack. It's really difficult to uh, I kind of uh, love
0: it though, but I do. I, see, I, I, I admire, agree with this whole. I admire for that. I, I agree with this whole point, yeah. by the way, because the the character is terrible, but the movie doesn't love him.
1: No, no. The not movie
0: acknowledged he might be interesting. He's mm. worth watching for a while, but the movie has an, an attitude. And he nearly that, makes it out. Yeah. That makes it okay for us to watch him because we don't feel like the movie is on his side. The movie mm. might appreciate that he's good at some stuff and respects like some of the things that he does, but. Mm the movie is not
1: about how great he is yeah yeah, yeah and so i want to see how bad he can get in perfect example um. Uh, I'm not keen on the film overall, but it's one of my favorite endings in recent memory. Yeah, i great more, uh, ending. I'm oh more fond of Red Rocket, the, the Sean Baker film, mm. uh, which was actually more satisfying because I got to spend a good chunk of time with Simon Rex's lead character, and I watched him build things up for himself, worming his way back into his ex's life, using his friends for money and rides, and of course, grooming a teenage girl to get back into the porn industry. His shitty attitudes, hypocrisy, and total lack of self-awareness are what make him amusing as a character, a word that I, I find preferable to likable in these situations. Mm. Amusing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's that's a good a good distinction amusing make, is actually, a good yeah. way i don't necessarily need to be amused i just need to be entertained well I, entertained I, or engaged i understand using amusing rather than likable because oh. that means they're entertaining you uh, rather than i guess relating uh, to you um i don't know i, I can be horrified
0: but it, as well like nightcrawler yeah. for example you yeah. know I'm, i uh, think it's fascinating but i'm not amused i'm kind of
1: horrified and when that comes crashing down for him in the third act uh it is fantastic whitney mentioned that he heard no discourse for this film and i think uh i know why the film doesn't let him win it comes yeah. to the conclusion that people uh, rationally want. to <laughs> That people rationally want uh, from a 40-year-old man attempting to lure a 17-year-old girl into the porn industry, which is total failure. Yeah. Uh, I think the discussion surrounding Licorice Pizza is a little more complex because Alana, the film's lead, is not immediately set up to be an irredeemable shithead. Her story is a little more complicated, and while I see that makes people uncomfortable about this film, I honestly don't think the film is particularly romantic. Sometimes I think it presents the more romanticized version of the relationship that Cooper Hoffman's character has. But Alana is the lead and going through a quarter life crisis. She's stuck between moving forward and moving backward. She finds herself tempted by the friendship and potential relationship with Gary, but tries to move herself forward from it in an attempt to grow up. Hence her dates with older actors and politicians. Mm-hmm. She's not nefarious like the lead of Red Rocket. She's just struggling to be an adult. And the immaturity and youthfulness of Gary's friendship pulls her in because she's not content enough to move forward. This is a bad decision, and ultimately deciding to pursue a romantic relationship makes her a bad person. But I think this film is very aware of it. I, mm, this well, is less mm. of a, I can't wait to see them fail, and more of a, I really don't want them to, but I'm fascinated to see where this goes. And that doesn't necessarily translate to justification or romanticism. Mm. I just got to watch the character in a complicated part of her life choose the wrong path. And that's that makes me sad, but I appreciate that on a storytelling level. Happy endings are not always the key. Uh, and the ending of Licorice Pizza, I think, is melancholic. Mm. Um, I the, would, uh, the ending is the part I actually take most issue with in something same. like Licorice Pizza. Because if... And I, I even I, I, said this when I reviewed it. And we're going to um, be
0: talking spoilers here because yeah, we already uh, set the stage.
1: The, uh, if the film had been a much longer picture about mm. how this, uh, this woman and this teenage boy mm. had this very uh, strange, uh, vocationally driven uh, relationship, it was a friendship... Yeah. And she was in this quarter-life crisis where she was kind of feeding off of youth, kind of looking backwards. Yeah. And it was sort of about how their relationship continued to grow as he became an adult. Mm -hmm. And it took place over many, many years, and we got to catch up with them when they were like in their 50s and 60s. That would have been an interesting story about how they kind of have this interplay Mm -hmm. and how he initially had romantic feelings for her and and she always said, no, you're a teenager, that's kind of gross. Mm -hmm. That would have been a much more interesting story. Potentially. I think... It, Licorice Pizza, in ending the way it did, kind of put a button on what genre the whole film was supposed to be. Mm. And that is, this was actually a love story all along. Yeah, it ends very specifically, and again, spoilers, mm. with her... Because her
0: journey throughout a lot of it is is complicated, but when it comes to relationships, with the people that we see her attempt to engage with romantically mm. are older men who, it turns out, are either self-obsessed or... Uh, Focused on work Or they're not great partners They don't actually have Anything invested in her The only person who has Something invested in her Specifically Is Cooper Hoffman's character Mm. And Throughout all of the business That they've been through He's the only one who has been Completely interested in her Specifically It's an immature Obsessive love Hmm but it's the only person that she knows in her life who is actually like committed to her in any way and so when she finally says okay fine I'll be together and he says we're getting married and then the very last shot of the movie is him cheerfully pulling her by the arm while she runs past the screen saying I love you yeah. and then credits and credits with like kind of like cheerful music like it's not like it's a mel- it's not like it's sad music saying uh-oh that mm. suggests that at the end, the Cooper Hoffman's fantasy that they were meant to be together was indeed positive. Uh, you can look at it melancholically, and I would say that this is not a happy ending, mm. but I don't think the movie is presenting it as such, which suggests to me that there is a disconnect between me and the film, and that's something I'm criticizing the movie for, because I think the movie is suggesting that this romance is ultimately you know, worthwhile. Mm. And I don't buy it. The actual text of the film doesn't support it very well. Cooper Hoffman's character is still outrageously immature, yeah, and like, he's it, it weirdly possessive when, and it's, it ends when he's still a teen and yeah it, they haven't we don't get really, that context you know, of like yeah, how yeah. this is going to work out for them later okay, there,
1: there's more to this level, but anyway, but so like uh, that's
0: that's one that's why I don't really care for right. that but anyway
1: anyway uh, this conversation can get exhausting yeah. because a lot of people always boil it down to depiction as endorsement or True. art isn't supposed to be pure uh, when the fact is it's a lot more nuanced than that yep. and whether uh, whatever rationale you apply to any film does not apply to every film exactly there is no one size fits all response for this topic especially uh, when you consider the kinds of experiences and worldviews some people have in their approach to cinema. For instance, I and a lot of other people would agree that the central relationship in Fifty Shades of Grey is pretty toxic and abusive. Agreed. But presented as desirable and romantic. However, there is a critic I follow who gave five-star five reviews to all three films, hmm. and, having been in an abusive relationship himself, felt that the film's depiction of abusive relationships was sensitive and accurate, and done really well overall. Get to my mind, that's absolutely crazy, but his experience... His experiences aren't mine, so I'll never have that particular lens to see it. That's not necessarily comparable to the films I talked about before this, but a broader point uh, on the discussion. Anyway, I wanted to throw uh, that one into the conversation and see what you guys think. Hope you're all doing well. Sincerely yours, RJ. Uh, That's an interesting point, and sometimes the perspective that we have on particular works of art is deeply personal. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: I know that there are films that deal with very serious topics like uh, abuse or sexual assault. Uh, and that some people find incredibly distasteful are sometimes to people who have experienced those things, uh, viewed through a different lens and uh, sometimes they're worse than people thought or better. Uh, and those are all valid. This is the reason why one of the reasons why we say everyone's a critic is we need everyone's perspective to get a full picture of things. Just because Whitney and I may feel a certain way about something and present our opinions with some confidence doesn't mean we're right. Mm. This is just how we feel. This is our perspective, and we try to support that as best we can so that you can understand where we're coming from. We also understand where you're coming from, and that we may not move over to your side. Sometimes we do. Sometimes you make an excellent point, and we're like, oh, shit, that's a great point. Thank you. Mm. Um, But... um, Yeah, sometimes it just doesn't work out, but in any case, it's all very complicated, and when you're dealing with deeply personal issues, moral issues, Mm -hmm. um, some people are going to respond unfavorably uh, to movies that they don't feel are being very responsible. I react this way myself. I try to make it clear when I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying necessarily a movie is incompetent. I just feel like it's gross in some way and i don't i, uh, I don't react to it well so, but there you go there, there was a film that uh, off, there was know? a film that
1: came out uh, like i think it was two years ago um mm. that I, I ended up giving a pretty positive review to and have gotten a lot of grief for what's that uh, and it was on netflix it was called cuties Oh, uh, there was that. and there was a yeah. bit of a controversy around this film cuties uh because of uh, it's advertising yeah uh the film is about uh young girls it's about 11 year old girls um who are growing up in a pretty dire uh, circumstances and it's based on the filmmakers sort of own experiences as a young girl yeah. and how uh, there was a little bit of freedom that they could find in this world that was kind of driving them to a, a dance, co- uh, this dance competition where they were clearly being uh, exploited. They were being sexualized yeah. by the people who were holding these competitions and they were just sort of rolling with it and like s- sort of finding it really empowering without kind of knowing themselves Uh, What sort of unsavory ends it was fulfilling. Uh, A lot of people, sight unseen, thought that this film was advocating uh, the the behavior in the movie.
0: The exploitation. The the
1: exploitation. They thought it was an exploitation movie that was just deliberately sexualizing young girls. That's what the movie's about. It's clearly not advocating for that. In fact, I think it's very sensitive and open. And I think a big issue that a lot of people uh, failed to acknowledge was that it was biographical, that this is actually a really important topic for the filmmaker. Uh, let me look up the the, the director's name because um, it, it, it was based on her experiences. Yeah. Um, because I gave that a good review, I got a lot of grief for people who thought I was advocating the, the exploitation of children because they thought it was an exploitative movie. It's not. It's actually a very uh, nuanced, complex film about uh, a young girl's experiences with sexuality and having it thrust upon them. We live in a very sexualized world. You see it a lot in advertising, a lot on videos, a lot on Instagram. And uh, what is it like being an 11 year old, being raised in those circumstances? I think the film uh, is really sensitive and intelligent in the way it approaches those things. Um, is it about negative things no it's not uh um my Ducouré is the name of the director uh it's a it's a french film yeah um uh, I think the instinct to judge a film for the content you read off of a synopsis is really tempting, and it's not going to get into the nuances of what that film is about until you see it. So, uh, I think a lot of what people are reacting to are actually, um, first impressions rather than the film that they've seen. Yeah. Fair enough. Um... It's complicated. It, it's it's yeah. It's it, well, it's a bit of an issue. And art conversations about art, especially the arts created about controversial things or bad things in the world, uh, can cause mm-hmm. a little bit of controversy. Especially if uh, it you know it's, it's sensitive to you, or it you know, covers a topic that you don't you know, covering an experience you haven't had. Yeah. All right. We should move on. I think we have time for one or All two right. more. Um. Here's a letter from Thomas. Hello, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Um, good evening. Name redacted and name redacted. I didn't want to assume. <laughs> Uh, I got a new job. Oh, congratulations. Congrats. Uh, And was sent for training for three weeks out of state. It's my second night here in my extended stay hotel. And after thinking of what to do, I decided to turn on the TV. I haven't had cable in six years. Oh, let me guess. You landed on Chopped or Law and Order. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll just, I was story about this. In minute, right, anyway,
1: um, I flipped through the channels and I landed on Gone in 60 Seconds, uh, the remake. Mm-hmm. And my heart skipped uh, my heart skipped a cage beat and I watched the whole thing. Nicholas cage. Mm. Uh, my question to you, uh, to you dudes are, when was the last time you channel surfed and what three movies <laughs> that you see during a surf would you have to stay on? The caveat to these questions is, uh, you would have to be, uh, the caveat to these questions is what, uh, what channel would you be watching during the show? Uh, I hope this makes the show. I have nineteen days left here, and I am lonely. <laughs> well, I think we've uh, we're in that window uh signed to Thomas uh, channel surfing isn't really a thing anymore because TV's on demand mm-hmm. and surf- indeed
0: and indeed when you uh even if like you do have cable mm-hmm. and you want to see what oh, well, it's just playing. I'm not I'm the thing I was watching is over. Is there anything else on right now? I just feel like putting on something. You have guide buttons, and they'll tell you what's on every channel, and you can just press a button, and you'll go yeah, to right to that. So you're not necessarily just going to go randomly to every station. You can, but yeah, prior, it's not necessarily the way that people consume that media now. Uh, it used to be you actually had to physically go to every channel mm, to see what was on that channel.
1: I, uh, it, It's been a little bit frustrating to my seven-year-old son explaining to him that TV was just constantly running, whether it was on or off. There were like eight channels and they were constantly putting out um, shows and you could turn it on and see what was going on at that moment. And if you turned it off, you missed it. And my son, who's only been raised on on-demand television, couldn't quite fathom that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, that's the way uh, TV was. That's the way cable was. You were just sort of flipped through channels to see what was on. If you didn't have a TV guide, you didn't know what was on. You just kind of chanced yeah. on it. Sometimes you would discover something. Often you wouldn't. Uh and this was the uh, experience for someone like me who didn't have cable TV, yep. going to a hotel. If I ever had to stay at a hotel, they did have cable TV, and they had much more exciting shows. Yeah. And that's how I discovered stuff like Tales from the Dark Side uh, and all those horror shows you know, nice. in, the, in the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah. Uh, now we go into a, uh, My wife and I go into a hotel room We take bets as to see how many flips it takes Before we land on either Chopped or Law & Order Nice. Uh, it's never more than three <laughs> Especially Law &
0: Order I find yeah. um, We actually, uh, my partner and I we Went on our first proper vacation mm-hmm. uh, In over a decade This last week And uh, we did stay in a hotel And they did have cable And yeah, it's the end of a You go, you do a couple of things in the area At the time you have a few adventures And at the end you can just kind of want to unwind and for me, mm-hmm. the things that we always end up on, uh, uh, well, the, th- the one thing we tend to end up on all the time is Golden Girls reruns. <laughs> all right. That's often, that's almost always on at some point. So those are always pretty reliable. Um, but the other things that we ended up on uh, this time around were, turns out there was an entire station dedicated to Baywatch, mm-hmm. like nothing but Baywatch reruns. So I watched some of that. Uh, there was an entire st- station dedicated to the original series of Doctor Who before the Christopher Plummer reboot. So we watched some of the first Doctor, the third Doctor... Christopher Plummer fr- was on Doctor Who? Not Christopher Plummer. Uh, Christopher Eccleston, sorry. Thank you oh, for okay, me. okay. The Christopher Eccleston... He could reboot. I no, not know. No, no, no. Christopher Eccleston was the first Doctor Who after they brought it back after the initial cancellation, and then there was that one TV movie with Paul McGann. But they had, like the episodes of the first doctor the third doctor the fourth doctor and they suggested that they had all of them but those are the only ones we saw um so those are really really fun uh and also svengulli oh you saw svengulli still on tv oh, on me tv and uh, we actually just mentioned it in an, i think in another podcast but um they were showing uh uh Frankenstein meets the wolfman Oh, that's fun. So we watched Frankenstein Meets mm-hmm. Wolfman is hosted by the great Sven Gulli, who is one of the uh, great local TV horror hosts who has, like, some real what, national traction now, and he's on uh, Basic Cable, so check him out. It's fun. Um,
1: uh, this is another... Yeah, my wife and I were staying in a hotel, uh, and... Yeah. We were in Solvang, California. Yeah, which is a, a little Danish-themed tourist town. I've always wanted to go there for Christmas. Mm.
0: They have like they do really go all out for Christmas, and I, uh, I we we're gonna go there in 2020, and then shit happened. Obviously, uh, uh, so yeah.
1: There's a store in Solvang, California called Yule House, uh, which is just Christmas 24 seven. Yeah, three uh, three sixty five. It, it's yeah. just always all you get if you need a Christmas ornament in July, you can go there. Uh, but we were staying in a hotel in Solvang and we were flipping through the, the cable stations and for some reason we got a uh, some rogue signal that wasn't even on like the the channel yeah. guide that was local TV from Brooklyn. What? Weird. Clear clear across the country. It was from Brooklyn, Weird. it was just like some local Brooklyn guys showing some old cheesy movies. We knew it was Brooklyn because we were looking up like the local businesses it was advertising and it was all these like really lo-fi commercials. Uh, and they were show- stopping occasionally and talking about it, but showing the film Village of the Giants, the Bird Eye Gordon movie. Oh my God. We stopped and we watched Village of the Giants. Oh, that was movie. a pretty sublime experience. That's such a bad movie. Oh, my oh God. it's it's wonderfully bad. Yeah. Uh, Village of the Giants is about a teenage juvenile delinquents who swallow a young Ron Howard's growth hormone <laughs> and become 50-foot giants and take over this little town. Yeah. Uh, Ron Howard Tommy Kirk's uh, got to stop him. Tommy Kirk has Bo to Bridges stop them. Bo Bridges plays the main bad that's guy. That's right. Uh, yeah. Ron the, Howard's the little kid. And, the, there's uh, this
0: weirdly intense uh, theme music for the bad guys oh that Quentin Tarantino uses the theme music uh, for the opening uh, of death. Proof. Death proof.
1: Yeah. That's that was from village of the giants. Oh my God. And, uh, and Tony Basil. Well. Um, so yeah, that was a pretty special experience that we definitely had to stop for that. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's a way to recreate channel surfing anymore. Because uh, even can, you, hotels- just, you have to do it.
0: You just actually have to press channel up and down. That's yeah, all you have to so. do you have to go out of your way. It's not the natural thing to do. Yeah. Um. I guess that's basically it. Because mm. with streaming services, it's not really available. The one thing I like there's a, there's a thing Shudder does, and I don't think I can't think of another streaming service that does
1: oh, it. The Shot Factory's channel
0: does this as well. Okay, this, well, Shudder and Shot Factory, I guess. When you put on their streaming service, the first thing they take you to isn't the main menu they're constantly showing just something live. What's on their channel. So, like, you just come in and then, boom, it's a scene from Tourist Trap. And, like, oh, then you then all of a sudden you find yourself watching Tourist Trap. Which, if you haven't seen Tourist Trap, oh, my God, watch Tourist Trap. It's such a fun movie. Uh, it's, like, goes it completely, you think you know exactly where it's going, and then it doesn't do that. It goes in a very weird direction. But, like, yeah, it just, all of a sudden, oh, society is on. Well, I'm going to watch the end of this. <laughs> you know? So, that's always fun, and I actually do like that. But, um... Yeah. Um, We have time for one more letter.
1: Let's do one more. Um, All right. Let's think you can
0: do it, Whitney. I believe in you.
1: I'm just. Uh, Here's a letter from James. Hello, James. Hello. Uh, This says Dear Bibbs and Whitney, uh, I've been listening to the B uh, since the B movies days. Wow! When I first saw your podcast title, with E being a much more unusual starting letter for films, I took the time to think of my own list of films that I admire. Oh, our, I our figured list of the I best films did, to start, yeah, with the e. start with the letter E. I yeah. like to cross off everything mentioned in your podcast and still came up with a ten best myself. Awesome! Well, I can't wait did to hear. I it. have, dare I say, even better than your list. What? Uh, without further ado, let's get to it. Uh, early spring. Okay, yeah, your list is already better. Than <laughs> Early Spring by Ozu, I've uh, magnificent never seen and beautiful, touching dramas. Uh, as much of Ozu's work as yet, this remains my favorite. Endlessly watchable, and when I was a teenager, it used to be aired on t- afternoon TV regularly here in the UK in the wow. 2000s. Pure comfort food cinema remains in my personal. Top they
0: 10. never just randomly aired non English like language films. movies uh, in, in in America. Like, we had never. like
1: UHF stations. That's where well, I saw like gamma movies and Luchador films. i about like
0: network uh, television. You would never just see that in an afternoon. No, I can't. Yeah. I honestly can't think of a single one maybe godzilla godzilla would occasionally pop up on like saturday midday
1: but but they were dubbed they were always dubbed in that's true
0: they were dubbed yeah that's a good point yeah yeah Um,
1: uh edward ii derek Jarman. uh never never read any of Marlowe's work yet this subversive pro-lgbt anachronistic adaptation has stayed with me since challenging yet deeply compelling have have you seen edward ii Uh, no no i haven't it's on it's on uh ovid
0: i've seen Jarman's uh the tempest Mm. Uh, which I wish I liked more than I did. I, like, I respect it, but I didn't yeah. actually like, enjoy it very much,
1: but yeah. All right. Um, Eve's Bayou by Casey Lemons. Oh, that's One that's of the most way. important films in African-American cinema, uh, yeah. unfortunately overlooked today and also featuring a career best from Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, Eternity in a Day by Theo Angelop- a- Angelopoulos. Uh, perhaps okay, perhaps. And- just showing off. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you're showing <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you're cracking out Theo Angelopoulos No yeah. no
0: no I, 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 And I don't mean that Derisively or condescendingly I'm not saying you don't Believe this What I'm saying is You're showing that You're better than us so it's, and, and you <laughs> so are you just have better taste You are You're better than us um, It's fine yeah.
1: Perhaps That's Angelopoulos a- Most conventional film Yet it remains one of his best An exploration of the Inevitability of death With an amazing Bruno Ganz in the lead This film can stand In the ring with Kurosawa's Ikudu And possibly win uh, I need to see Eternity in Apparently yeah. And uh embrace of the serpent we were just talking about this hey, movie right, uh, on I a different, different podcast i should have mentioned that, yeah. that uh, the that second best should have film list. of 2015 yeah. has reached the list second yeah. only because uh, it was against the current god of cinema hu sao sen who released the assassin the same year uh, hard to go up against hu sao sen yeah. uh, yet this is a true work of art it can join coppola and herzog as a great film about going up the river to madness
0: yeah we have an episode of um uh critically reclaimed coming up later this week which we just recorded it'll go up in a couple of days mm. uh where we talk about the lost city of zed and towards the end of the podcast i mentioned that i think embrace of the serpent handles it's, the same it's, material it's better, better yeah, yeah. uh so i 100% agree on that i don't think would have made my top 10 but it definitely should have made my honorable mentions
1: um eight and a half by federico fellini oh, well, i know bad. you guys aren't fellini fans Man. but this film is a joy let's not linger on it from a part uh apart from i recommend fellini satiricon as uh it's the best film set in ancient Rome, and E Evita which is a sweet, gentle experience to change your minds. I've seen Evita, and I actually okay. like that one. It's William, I think you would like Evie Talone because that's like one of the least Fellini Fellini movies. It's actually a little bit more like a French movie I actually, film. I
0: don't yeah. want to find, here's the deal. Fellini's pretty prolific and I haven't seen everything he's done mm-hmm. and it's entirely possible I'll finally find the one thing that like unlocks it. Like yeah. when you're trying to develop a taste for like something and like you, like, like you don't like any, you don't know, yeah. like any beer and then like you have this one beer. I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this one I like. And now I understand why the other ones are good okay. because this one like hit me in a certain way, like that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um. Great. I don't want to I mean if it works out this way it works out this way I don't want to find the Fellini film that isn't like Fellini because then it's not going to help me like Fellini I want to find the Fellini film that is like Fellini that I can still tap okay. into that's what I'm searching um, for because I want to well, if I just seen, don't like him I just don't like him but you like if seen I'm going to have Dolce
1: Vita yet have you? that's
0: the big one I okay. haven't seen yeah
1: you should just see La Dolce that's Vita that's the big one I think one. you'll like yeah. that one too okay um Next up on the list is Eureka by Nicholas Rogue, a lesser known rogue picture, but one of his best, a true crime story with Gene Hackman and all all star star cast. The opening scene of a prospector Hackman hitting it big is clearly an influence for PTA's There Will Be Blood, but this film and that scene are superior. All right. Um, Earth, 1930, by a filmmaker named Dovzhenko. I don't know this movie. I don't know this one. Um, Uh, yes, I had to Google his name, a powerful portrayal of life on a collective Soviet farm in which it portrays the struggles and humanity of all involved. Perhaps with current events, it can be, uh, an excuse for more people to check out this Ukrainian masterpiece. Although there's a deep well of other well-known Ukrainian cinema to dive into full of riches. I don't know. Earth. It sounds right. Sounds cool. Yeah. Um, Next up on the list, Elevator to the Gallows. We almost did this on Critically Reclaimed.
0: I think we had it on the list and didn't get voted for, yeah.
1: Uh, Louis Mal's first and for me best film. This classic noir thriller is sharp, short, and entertaining as hell, and features a standout cast and an astonishing Miles Davis score. The score is often the most cited thing about Elevator to the Gallows. Mm -hmm. Uh, Strong contender for number one spot. If it weren't for number one, The Ear. Do you know The Ear? Sounds familiar. By uh, Karel Kachina. Carol Kachina. Okay. Uh, this 1970 masterpiece was banned by the Czech communist government until the fall of the Soviet Union, yet it is a miracle it still exists or indeed got made in the first place. Plot. A member of the government attends a large fancy dinner only to return home with his wife and suspects the house has been broken into. Paranoia of them being under surveillance and strains of their marriage make for a not-so-fun night. To put it simply, it's the conversation meets too afraid of Virginia Woolf, and it's magnificent. Wow. That sounds so cool. Look that film up because I want to know what, like, so, uh, where I can watch it. Uh, hold on. It's, it's uh, The Year. What The
0: Year again? Did The Year be around
1: there? Just The Year, 1970. 1970, yeah. okay. 19... Uh, honorable mentions. Uh, Exorcist to The Heretic. Hey, there's a little little bit yeah. back around here to Craig's book here, Craig Farnham's book. Um, I know this may seem like a troll as it's hardly one of the best films ever made, uh, unlike all mentioned before, but damn, I love this film. It's beautifully made and upon multiple viewings I can laugh at it and yet still find depth and compelling material in here. The, as I've the ruined e- all credibility for this up.
0: The ear is currently On the Criterion channel Is it Alright You can watch it Tonight when you get home I I think I just might It's only an hour And 34 minutes
1: That sounds great All right. I'll check that out Uh, Thank you so much For uh, the work You gentlemen have done Over the uh, last I think eight years I've been listening And I look forward To many more Yours sincerely James James thank you so much For your recommendations
0: Uh, The ones that I can attest to Spot on Mm -hmm. Which suggests to me That the films that With the exception of Eight and a half Which I'm just not a fan of That's not Mm -hmm. your fault That's me Um I assume everything else on your list is as good as those. So, uh, well done. Uh, Touche. And uh, thank you very, very much. And if anyone else has any other movies that begin with the letter E that we missed, let us know. It's half the fun of it. We like to share these things. Um, And that's it. That's it for We've Got Mail. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. Thank you, everyone, who sent us stuff. That was really cool of you. Uh, If you want to write in for a future episode, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And, uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. Well, box? If anyone wants to send us stuff or a, would just like to send us a letter or uh, postcard or
1: whatever? We're not requesting stuff. No, nope, just you're just not a letter, but, uh, It's nice it's, that people it's do. It's g- generous and sweet, and we, and we really it. appreciate it. Um, yeah, send it to uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. And um yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, what am I supposed to add to that? Uh we'd love to hear from you. So thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts with us. It means the world to us. Uh, if you want more of our stuff, don't forget to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We just added and changed a few things on there. It's still mostly the same. Um the big differences are that every uh tier, even at one dollar a month, We're offering all of these regular episodes of our show, Critically Acclaimed, we've got Mail, Critically Reclaimed, The Iron List, the stuff that you can normally get for free. We're offering that without ads. So mm-hmm. if that's really important to you, for $1 a month, you can get them without ads. Or for any of our other tiers, you also get a bunch of other stuff as well, depending on what tier you're at. We've got shows dedicated to every single film ever nominated for Best Picture, every single episode of Star Trek. We do commentary tracks. And at our top tier, we have a new perk where we're doing uh, Trivia Nights. You can test your medal against me and or Whitney, depending on whose schedule is uh, most available at the mm-hmm. time. So... Uh, First one of those is coming up in a couple of weeks uh, Just here in May Look forward to seeing everyone there Um, It's going to be a blast So uh, thank you everybody once again for joining us Special thank you to all of our patrons Uh, If you want to talk to us any other way of course We're on Twitter at CriticAcclaim I am myself am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel We hope you have a wonderful week Sincerely yours, Bibbs And Whitney